0: I'm Heather Monahan. I'm from Worcester, Massachusetts. I am formerly a C-suite executive in corporate America, currently a best-selling author, podcast host, TEDx speaker, and keynote speaker. And I'm on From the Heart with Ed Hart.
1: Excellent. Thank you very much, Heather. It's good to see you today. And you uh, took away some of my intro right there, so that's perfect. So I appreciate that. So how are you doing today with uh, all the things going on in your life and a book out there that's selling like hot cakes and all the things in your life? How, how's things, How's life treating you today?
0: Things are crazy, but good. So good. Good that's deal. the best that can be expected these days.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I've read your book, most of it, and I've read a lot about you. I've seen you on a lot of different podcasts over the course of the last uh, few weeks and months. And um, let me just ask you a, a, a question that might feel surreal to you. I've heard you talk about this a little bit. What's it like to hear Heather Monahan, best-selling author? What does that bring up for you?
0: You know, it's not that big of a deal anymore. It's like anything you get used to it. It's like when I was first in the C-suite, it was really crazy when I would hear my title at first. But then after a while, it's like anything, right? You know, the first time my son tried out for basketball, (laughs) he was so nervous. And then next year, it was no big deal. So I think that the more that we go to other levels and push ourselves into new arenas in our life, the more, you know, the initial moment can be shocking. But- after the fact, it, it's much more comfortable. I, I actually just signed with Hart Collins Leadership to launch my second book, Leapfrogging Villains in 2021. And so that's more, I'm really focused on that now. I'm oh, I like that.
1: About that. That's a great title. What well, can you share with that about that? I mean, obviously, I, I know that's part of your book is Leapfrogging Villains. And I've read that part, but is there anything you can share with us about what uh, more in detail about what that book will be about?
0: Sure. One of the things that I try to do is answer my audience's questions and most asked questions. And one of the things that comes up every single day on social media is I'm asked, what has happened since the day you got fired? How did you get a podcast? How did you get a TED Talk? How did you launch the book? How did you sign with HarperCollins? How did you, you know, so everyone wants to know what are those steps in between then and today. And leapfrogging villains is going to, in a different way, it's a a new system that I've created, a three-step system, but through that, uh, lens, we're going to look at how to accomplish individual goals, you know, during difficult and challenging times.
1: Awesome. No, that's very well-timed, obviously, if there's ever been a time in our lives where there's been difficult and challenging times, how has this all impacted you? Obviously it's impacting, we're all in this together, but going through it separately, I've heard a lot of people say, um, I guess rather than how are you going through this, I'll ask you more. What lessons, Heather, are you learning through this, maybe about yourself or about your own confidence or just in general that you really hope you take with you when we're, if we're ever back to normal, whatever, I don't know what normal is going to look like when we're through this, but uh, what are you hoping to take with you that you're learning through all of this?
0: Really appreciating my ability to pivot and change in business. You know, I remember earlier in my career when I was a VP of sales, someone said to me, your title should be change maker. Mm. And I thought, oh, that's weird. You know, I don't <laughs> know why this was someone who's a lot older than I was and had a lot more experience. Obviously I hadn't gone through many hard times as a VP of sales. I hadn't gone through the 08, 09 recession. I hadn't gone through a divorce yet. I hadn't gone through a pandemic yet. I hadn't, you know, gone through all of these different moments of adversity at different levels. And what he was illustrating to me, which fell on deaf ears at the time, was that I had an innate ability to constantly innovate and try to change and evolve. So much so it was subconscious to me. I didn't really realize I was always pushing myself to do that. So when the pandemic hit, of course, like everyone, I was devastated and upset and, you know, emotional and scared and unknown. But I also simultaneously thought, I know, I might not know this situation, but I know what this looks like. It reminds me of 0809. It reminds me of walking into uncertainty. It reminds me of getting fired and not knowing what's to come next. What are the things that I was able, what levers did I pull previously that worked for me in times like this? And which levers did I pull that didn't work? And which levers did I bypass that I should pull now to see? And so, you know, each time you walk into more adversity and more unknown, you become better equipped to handle it the next time around.
1: Yeah. I think you hit it on the head too. I think the experiences that we have where we learn are not necessarily about that experience, but to prepare us for the next one. And I'm sure that, you know, when you got fired or when you went through your divorce, I think I went through a divorce too nearly 30 years ago. Hopefully it's made me a better husband this time around. My wife will have to answer that one. But, um, yeah, that the experiences that we have, and like you, I went through the pandemic or excuse me, the recession in a much different way. I was, Selling, and all we had to do is pick up the phone and close a sale, and then it got very, very difficult, so yeah, this is definitely a time frame that we're we're seeing things that we 've never seen before, and that, that goes without saying how do you how do you keep yourself from losing confidence in times like this when maybe things aren't as easy I mean you're not out on the road visiting and traveling and doing all the things that I know you were doing before, so you've had to pivot like all of us to use your word. Um, how do you maintain that confidence? when as you've said on stage and i've seen you say you really just gained it a couple of years ago which might be a surprise to a lot of people who knew you obviously and i'm sure you've heard that too but uh, how do you regain it when when the world seems to be just knocking us down
0: yeah well i mean in any moment you're either creating confidence or you're essentially you know pinging away at it and eroding it. So when you begin to approach your decisions through the day in that regard, it becomes somewhat simplistic, right? I liken it to if you're on a diet. So in any moment, you're either picking up the donut or you're drinking a bottle of water, right? It's that simple. We don't like to acknowledge it. I don't like to acknowledge it either, right? It's it's frustrating, but it truly is that simple. And it's being self-aware. It's recording action steps. It's journaling to understand what your inner thoughts are. It's In those tough moments, reframing fear as an opportunity to grow and seeing it as a green light, right? Surrounding yourself with people who are cheering you on and stretching you to grow versus people who are putting their self-limiting beliefs on you. You know, there are so many different things that we can do in any moment to make it a moment to create confidence within us. And for me, that big moment was when the pandemic hit and I got the call that, you know, speaking engagements weren't going to be happening for the short term. Initially, they said the short term. Now it looks like it's for the long, at least yeah, for a exactly. year, probably longer, right? i mean the event so, and, myself, and
1: I, so, yeah, it's definitely different.
0: I just actually, it's so funny. I, when, not funny, haha, but it's yeah, kind of amusing, right. is that uh, when it happened, and I was told over the next couple of months, we're shutting down, you know, your speaking engagements are on hold and we'll look at rebooking for the following year. So I thought, okay, I need a short-term solution. This is how I approach the pandemic. And so I thought, what does my audience always ask for that I haven't been able to deliver previously? I get asked a lot about personal coaching and mentoring, which is something I did when I was in corporate America as part of my job. But since I've become an entrepreneur, there's been zero time to do that. And I'm on the road traveling a lot for my (laughs) speaking engagements, so I, I couldn't do it. So for me, I thought, okay, create a solution where you can monetize mentoring and coaching. Sure. I put an email, I'm sorry, I put a, um, a post on LinkedIn, and I just said, I'm launching this opportunity, it's for the month of May, and it's happening, it starts next week, and there's limited seats, so sign up. So I didn't even have a website or anything, mm-hmm. and right away, it sold out, and I thought, okay, there's something to this. What I didn't know is I underpriced the program, I overcommitted my time, and I ended up working like a maniac the month of May for not very much money. It was fine, it was a learning experience. During that time, I got a website up and running, I readjusted my pricing, I tailored the offering, and now I had testimonials and social proof as to this product that I was now monetizing and and increasing rates on. So I took the testimonials from my May, rolled them over into June, and then my existing team in May, half of them asked if they could re-sign for June. So I started seeing, okay, there's something here to this, I've gotta now find a way to automate it and make it less high touch, and showcase the value prop that I'm I'm now offering. And so all this is happening while well, I'm thinking it's a short-term problem. I just need to get out of the next couple of months so I can get back, you know, to work normally. And then it's really been obviously over the past few weeks that I've realized this isn't a short-term fix and right. now I have to look at it this as, you know, at minimum a 1 to 2 year business maybe bigger picture this is now a whole new layer of my business and, and new revenue stream I had never considered and how can I make that work five years from now if at that Point in time you know i have chosen to re-engage with going back to events because again things are changing so rapidly and and we don't know what the future holds so going through this whole thing it's been a learning experience of trying different things not doing it right failing at some things trying again you know tomorrow i'm doing my first ever live masterclass with a harvard professor we partnered together to address selling during crisis selling during difficult times and, and doing this live training so you know, is this going to work out? Is this going to be, you know, the best use of my time? Not sure yet. We'll see how many registers we have tomorrow. I currently have 15. I thought I'd have 40 by now. So again, you know, you, you create products of value, create products that you know are going to deliver results for people, which I feel confident in. But then it's the experience of, wow, is that too high touch? Did I charge enough? Did I market it correctly? Was I speaking to the right audience? You know, there's so many points of Evolving these new offerings as we move through these new times.
1: Yeah, and it, it, what I've learned too is with my audience, which I, I've worked primarily with family-owned companies. That's really my niche that I've been with for the last decade or so. And everything, obviously, has gone Zoom or WebEx or you know fill in the blank here on the platform. What I'm finding is people are very, very forgiving of the clunkiness. That's the word I've sort of been using for the last 15 weeks. Uh, we did a big summit all over North America for family-owned companies and. There are a couple of little glitches here and there, but for the most point it went well. But I think everybody just appreciates those like yourself and maybe me and others who are jumping in right away saying, okay, this is going to be the platform. This is the way we're going to go. I'm curious about, I read a little bit. I have some athletic background. I pitched, you pitched, I saw in your book as well in softball. Um, I'm guessing that you probably came across confident growing up because you were athletic, you were successful, but you told a story in the book about pitching in a playoff game and being on the mound and really just i think you said you walked the first pit, batter on four pitches or something along those lines i've been there too by the way more than once and calling for your manager to come out and take you out of the game how how does someone who appears i mean I, I guess the question is there's probably a lot of people around us who we look at and think oh they just have all the confidence in the world But what was going on inside of you that maybe those of us who think somebody looks confident might be able to look for or or notice that maybe aren't right on the surface.
0: You know, one of the things that when I look back over, you know, my life and and my earlier years, I tried so hard to appear confident. So to me, it was clear that it was fake, but to other people, they bought what I was selling, right? I was a good salesperson for my entire life. So I guess they, they bought that. Some of the things that you can look towards, I remember being in a restaurant, you know, and some woman slipping me a note it was at my sister's college graduation or something, and she said something to, along the lines of, you can be a beautiful, smart woman without having to be so loud. So, something, she meant it nice, I was completely offended. But her point, <laughs> which she was making too, is, yeah. well now I, I can reflect upon it differently. I see that her point was, I didn't need to be screaming from the corner, hey, look at me, hey, look at me, whether that be with the way I was dressing or how I was handling myself or my, you know, physicality or my voice. You know, I remember people would always say to me, oh, she's the loudest and I still am loud. However, I find myself not having to be loud. If I laugh loud, I I have a loud laugh, that's normal. But I, when you start noticing someone trying so hard to push so hard to you know, keep leading and keep jumping in, it's, if it almost seems forced, it probably is.
1: So that person who's always telling the loudest jokes or laughing the loudest or being the boisterous person in the room potentially could be masking something is what I'm hearing you say.
0: It certainly was the case for me and and trust your gut. You'll, you'll know if if you're really self-aware and you pay attention to others, you can see quickly when, now that I I can identify with this, when I'm at different events or with people, I'll notice someone's hands and while they're trying to, ha ha ha, there, there's like a nervous something going on over there. And I think, what, what are you freaking out about? You know, hang on, I'm noticing the more you just pay attention to your surroundings and listen to your instinct, the more you're going to pick up on those things. Yeah.
1: Do you have any examples early on in your childhood or, or adolescence of, of people that you looked at as being really confident that you admired for their confidence, public figures or private in your life that really you uh, try to pattern yourself after?
0: You know, no, because I wasn't self-aware at that age. I guess I didn't know well enough. My son's very different than me. He's very in tune. Whenever we leave someone's house, he will say, wow, you know, he's lonely or, you know, mom, I was thinking this or that. He really reads people well and then acknowledges it. I didn't, I didn't process that way. I didn't know to, you know, I sort of just thought, just keep going what you know maybe I was looking forward to a game or I didn't really reflect on things the way that I see my child do I do that now but I'm 45 he's 13 and I see him do that now I'm I'm proud of that you know but I don't believe I I had that innate inability that innate ability to you know assess situations feelings and and notice things to that regard I, I just remember being an athlete in high school and looking up towards my coach as I think most kids probably did if you had a good coach right so I had this one coach and and I had this amazing experience of getting to go back and speak at my high school last year uh, to the the entire school and she was waiting for me after and and it was such a cool thing that she's still there at the school so many years later and and getting to reflect upon you know, when I shared with her, gosh, when I went to school here, I was so insecure and the school seemed so overwhelming and big and scary. And here I am today, it seems so small. It's
1: so small. Exactly. And
0: she she was so surprised to hear that. She said, I didn't know, you know, she said, you are my MVP or, you know, this and that. And she said, I didn't know you, you felt that way. So it, it's really interesting that time gives you such a different perspective on things.
1: Yeah. I've done the same thing. I, I live not too far from where I went to high school and played baseball and to go back and even just Look at that field. It's the same dimensions, obviously, and I'm. It just looks totally different from that perspective of years, I suppose. How has your? and I'll use the air quotes here. Your newfound confidence, because as you mentioned, you're 45. I would never ask, but you volunteered it. Um, so you've been a mom for 13 years, obviously, but this newfound confidence you talk about is is relatively new, relatively speaking. How has it changed you as a mom?
0: You know. I believe that people can be confident in different sectors or, of their life. And by that, I mean, I've always been very athletic. So for me, get me to a gym or out running or an athletic engagement, I'm gonna be pretty confident. And it was real, it wasn't fake or forced. I felt really strong and always have in those arenas, unless I was injured, of course. Get me in personal relationship situations, I wouldn't feel as confident. Get me in a situation where there's levels of power and or I feel I'm outmanned or someone has a higher title in corporate America, I wouldn't feel as confident. I would second guess myself. I would question myself. So there were different venues and environments where my confidence would be stronger or less than uh, with my son, I, I will say when I, I first had my child, there was that window initially of, oh my gosh, can I do this? Can I keep another person alive? Can I, yeah. you know, literally be responsible for his breathing? You know, there was that really big fear when I first had my son. But I'll tell you, it was maybe a month into it. I just knew something clicked and I just, I knew I this, this is, yeah, that yeah. I, It has not been perfect, right? I mean, there's plenty of times where we have our own struggles or I watch him struggle. And then I I pray, I literally pray to God, Mm -hmm. I hope I equipped him with the tools to handle this and, you know, that he's empowered right now to get through the situation on his own because that's my goal. Teach him, you know, what is available to him and then allow him to be able to make those choices uh, when he's not with me. So, you know, I I think that I've always been pretty confident as a mother, except for that first month.
1: How are you balancing this this time frame we're in right now i know we're summertime now i'm assuming where you are summer break as well but when you had the responsibility of, of shifting your career and your approach to this online program and now just everything shifting professionally also being responsible for the education for a then maybe 12 or now 13 year old have you been able to balance that yeah. that's been one of those things i'm seeing everywhere that's been one of the toughest things for most of us
0: Yeah, that didn't go well. And my son's (laughs) grades definitely went down. You know, he is someone who likes to be engaged visually, you know, in in a fashion where he has people around him. So he found himself gazing out the window. I was working so much during that time. You know, I told him, you have got to get yourself, you know, they had to log in and out of Zooms and, you know, be responsible to write down their homework and do their work in between classes. And so essentially, oftentimes, depending on my schedule, he could be in his room for a couple of hours without someone coming to check on him, right? Because we live here together alone. And so it didn't go great. Yeah, it's, but however, listen, we survived it. And I cut I cut him some slack in, in that I understand, I don't think I would have done any better as a child. In fact, I'm sure I wouldn't have, right? So, you know, it's just, we're living in unprecedented times. Yes, and are. hopefully, you know, sooner than later, we can look back on it and say, wow, that was difficult. And now it's past. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, now we can at least get out and play sports and and get out and eat in restaurants and so forth. What do you hope, last question on your son, and then we'll get back to other things too. What do you hope he learns from you when it comes to confidence? This is, you're so much more than just confidence, I get that. But your book is Confidence Creator, so obviously that's the topic du jour. What do you hope that he picks up from his mom about confidence as a young man that he carries into his life?
0: To, most importantly for young people, it's to listen to yourself, right? Not to be pressured to do what your Joe or Tom or, or Sean tells you to do, but to check in with yourself to know what that right decision is. Because at that age, thirteen, that's really in that window where they're changing and second guessing themselves and having to choose friends or choose to move away from friends and choose to make bad decisions or good decisions. So. To me, that's really the, the most important thing is that he's empowered to make the best choices upon what he thinks and wants, not what others want for
1: him. Awesome. I like that. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that. It's really good advice. So many parents want to just instill their life and lay it on top or live vicariously through their kids or don't make the same mistakes I made. So therefore, I'm going to mold you this way. And it, it really doesn't work. I mean, we, we can protect them to a point, but uh, certainly it's tough to, you know, we learn from our mistakes, you know, and they're going to learn from theirs as well to a certain extent. How has this success you've had in the last couple of years changed your? Just I won't say just changed you, but I mean overall your level of confidence. I mean I know you. Your next book is over is about overcoming villains. You've outlined the villain that you had in your life specifically who fired you, um, and I love how you said you fired her. I love that. That is just you know let's just get these people who don't feed us and don't you know aren't positive in our lives. Why are we spending so much time with them?
0: The funny thing is my son's heard me on so many shows that yeah. the other day he said to me, I don't even know why you say that she fired you, mom. You fired her. I've her heard yeah. you t- say that. You <laughs> fired her. And yeah. well, I do reframe it that way, but technically sure. she did fire me.
1: Well, and you're great at reframing. And I think that's, that's kind of a place I wanted to go to. And I'll just go there now since you used the word. I heard you talk with uh, a friend of mine, David Meltzer. I know David. heard you talk with Gary Vee and others talking about shifting that mindset. And I think you and I interacted on that recently as well from, you know, I'm a couple of minutes late. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm late. Thank you for being patient. How has that reframing, just that phrase there changed for you? I love that. I'm going to start using it myself. Just, I'm stealing it just so you know, I'm taking it from you.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no problem. So I, and I don't even, you know, I came up with that for myself when I was working out at Barry's. I, I remember this, which is a boot camp. I'm sure I didn't invent it, right? I'm sure somebody else did it before me, but I, for me, I came up with the idea. I was feeling so good about myself when I was on the treadmill and halfway through you switch and you go over to the weights. And when I would go to the weights, it was packed in there, right? It's pre-pandemic and people Mm -hmm. bump into you, bigger people with heavier weights. And I would say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. (laughs) And finally I started realizing I feel really empowered and strong when I'm looking in the mirror, running on the treadmill alone. But when I get into the sea of people, I'm not feeling so great about myself. So I challenge myself to think, what is it that's bothering you? And maybe I'm just a stronger runner. I, you know, maybe that's part of it. But I started saying, you know what? I think it's that every time someone bumps into me like a jerk, because they're not self-aware, I'm saying, I'm sorry. Sorry, right? I'm saying sorry to them. I didn't do anything wrong. So essentially, I'm putting myself beneath them, blaming myself for something they did wrong. So I started yeah, thinking, yeah. well, this can't be, but be- this isn't oh, beneficial this picture, to right? me, right?
1: Yeah.
0: So I-, I said, I'm going to give myself a 30-day challenge. And for 30 days, I think I did a seven-day challenge in the book, actually. For 30 days, I decided that I'll not apologize. And this was not- I knew it wasn't going to be easy, you know. but I knew that it was important for me to do to test this idea that I had come up with. So I basically just decided, all right, no more apologizing, no matter what. And I forced myself, and I would write down things, solutions. And I actually I have on my website a tip sheet that I created, mm-hmm. Heathermontegan.com. This is confidence tips. Anyone can download it there. It's different yeah. ways to to overcome saying I'm sorry, right? So for it. me, it was it was going to be excuse me, number one, because we're talking about the gym. I was going to say excuse me, mm-hmm. no. yeah, <laughs> I'm, yeah, over I'm here. here, you know, yeah. and. Instead of blaming myself and saying, I'm sorry, then I decided, okay, if I'm late to the dentist because I'm stuck in traffic, I'm not gonna apologize profusely. I'm gonna thank you for your understanding. You know the 305 traffic. I'm so glad I made it. Okay, and we move on, right? And so I decided to start doing this everywhere and anywhere that I was showing up just for 30 days. But what ended up happening was I've really taken this on. And now if I catch myself, you know, apologizing, I say, oh, what? That's, you know, it's a new yeah. discipline for me. I'm almost yeah. shocked that I would do it. But it really works in that it makes it about the other person, about being grateful, you know, that you're, you're, fo- you're putting your focus on them instead of you. Right. Instead of blaming right. me and making it all about me, I'm making it all about them and my gratitude towards them and thank you for understanding and thank you for your patience. And it's a very positive shift.
1: Yeah, I think I read somewhere too that you wrote, and I'm going to paraphrase this. It's in my notes on the other side of my computer here. So forgive me for hammering this, but basically don't speak to yourself the way you wouldn't want others to speak to you. I know that's a radical, horrible paraphrase, but I think what I'm hearing you say is, you know, if we keep saying, I'm sorry, or putting ourselves down, we don't want other people to put us down. So why would we do that as well?
0: Yeah, you're teaching people how to treat you at the end of the day. I learned that very hard lesson when I was much younger in my early 20s in corporate America, I had a really good friend who's very successful at Xerox. We were the same age and we were on the phone one day and I made some comment, well, blonde joke or, hmm. you know, whatever. And she yeah. said, don't see that anymore. Somebody told me at work, you know, we were very young, maybe 22, 23. She said, somebody told me at work that if we start making fun of ourselves, they're going nice to start making fun
1: of us. as well. Sure.
0: Well, you're teaching them. You're teaching yeah. them. Please, you know, make fun of me. I'm, I, I, you know, I'm not that smart, or I'm not that sophisticated, or I'm not that experienced. And I thought, wow, I thought I was pulling people closer to me doing that because I, self-deprecating humor can be funny, no, not- right? and maybe someone's threatened, but no, maybe not in this situation. And now at 45, occasionally, I was just I was on a call yesterday with a Harvard professor preparing for tomorrow, yeah. and I was talking about how in some situations, if you're on a Zoom with a lot of people, a large group, some people get very overwhelmed and scared of getting the spotlight on them, the way that yeah. you know it, it toggles back and forth between sure. us. And if you have a couple hundred people on, people are afraid to have it come to them. So I shared with him one of my strategies to get people to understand it's okay is I will use that self-deprecating humor in those moments. It's a little different now that I'm 45, I I know my experience, I know my confidence level. Sure. And I also have been teaching people how to treat me for a long time. Right. And I don't think many people would challenge me on that. So I feel that occasionally once in a while it's okay to put in so those ease, moments. Right? Yeah. To put them at ease to say, listen, uh, don't worry like if it's i can to tell, me tell you right too. now how yeah. many i've right i've blown it yeah. so many times you know and letting them know this is the truth like you yeah. you're talking to someone who's been fired you're talking to somebody who's been arrested you're talking to somebody who's blown right. so many things you can't even count so don't sweat the small stuff we're all here together to you know communicate or whatever and so that's been a way to get people to feel a little bit more at ease which i think can work
1: yeah and it makes you more human as well and i think that's what people look at you and think strong, beautiful, successful, out there making a difference, making it happen. Oh, wait, she has weaknesses too. That, you know, if you're up there just tearing yourself apart all the time, that's going to get old. You know, we've been around that self-deprecating person that you just want to say, dude, stop. Okay. You're not as bad as you think you are. You're actually pretty awesome. And so, yeah, I think that when you interject it from time to time, it's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that I you know, I forgot I had this piece of broccoli in my tooth or something. You know, I'm such an idiot. But then you would move on, kind of helps them feel a little bit more comfortable. Let me ask you a question that I ask a lot of my guests: um, What breaks your heart? I, I heard somebody say a pastor once talking about if you want to figure out where to serve, where to put your your time, talent, treasure, um, your you know your service time away from work, think about the types of things that break your heart. Could be in this topic, could be anything. Is there anything out there that really you've found over the last months, years, a lifetime that breaks your heart where you try to put some of your energy?
0: I'm just, the first thing that comes to mind is the, the current climate that we're living yeah. in, that, you know, with the rioting, the protesting, I'm not saying the protesting breaks my heart, but the, the fact that peaceful protesting suddenly went to rioting, people losing their stores, people getting killed, policemen being attacked, rioters and protesters being attacked this whole this is heartbreaking to me for this whole period of the pandemic it's been challenging of course but this window where this fighting is going on and hatred against people and decisiveness has been really so sad to so sad to see for for our world
1: especially in a time when we really should be coming together because of what we're all going through and say for the first several weeks it was really i mean Great being the wrong word, obviously, but I was noticing to your point, a lot of us were coming together and it seemed like, you know, from all walks of life, races and ethnicities, backgrounds, cultures, and then this happened. And so, yeah, I'm right there with you. It's hard to see innocent people who, and I understand, you know, people have been oppressed for centuries and I get it. I totally get it. And the anger, I understand the anger. It's just hard to see how how it's impacting some people on, on, on every side. So not every side, right? Yeah, I I wrote the word down in my in my bullet point here. The word insecurity. I'd love for you to address, um, just when you hear that word insecurity, just almost like a, a word association. Not quite that, but what do you think of when you think of insecurity? How have you overcome it? What do you tell that young person or that woman that you used to work with, or that man for that matter, who you can really tell is insecure? What what advice I guess would you start with in talking with them?
0: Well, the first thing I think of when you say that is lack of security, right? So then I think of what is security and security is when we're in a situation that we know we're going to be okay, we're safe. And right now, more than ever, safety is paramount to everyone, right? So we're not fundamentally in a safe spot, naturally, because none of us know what's to come next. None of us have, we don't have the vaccine. We don't have the answer, right? So there's this lack of safety, this lack of security. So we're all sort of in this insecure window, which is really unprecedented and interesting in and of itself however in these moments of lack of security we can still have certainty within ourselves and that's what I try to challenge myself that's how I challenge myself to show up every day for my son to lead the people that I work with for my podcast whatever it is that I may do is that while I don't know what the future holds and I clearly don't I yeah. wish I did sometimes yeah. I sit around and pontificate yeah. I wonder yeah. if it'll be like this or yeah. I, you know and that I drive myself crazy but what I do know is I have certainty in myself. And I had Cal Fussman on my podcast last week and we were talking about, he's struggling with selling right now and selling his amazing talents because he feels bad. So many people are struggling and so many people are losing their job and no one has money. And he got down this whole road of you know all okay. the negative that of course overwhelms any of us and, and all of us at different times. And I just share back with them, but let's refocus on the certainty of you. What do we know about you, Cal? You are smart. You are qualified. You have a great message that can help businesses. You've helped millions of people. Look at your podcast. Look at the notes and the DMs you. Get back to that certainty of who you are. Did I know how I could repackage my offerings, my value proposition, my talents and skills? No. Am I continuing to evolve that? Yes. Am I certain in me and that I'm bringing value? Heck yeah. And the more you reconnect with that certainty, That's how you allow insecurity to fall by the wayside.
1: Yeah. Now, so you worked in a family business, right? And if I understand correctly, the situation you were in, where you were fired. So you have a little bit. It was a publicly
0: traded company, but I was the only non family member on the C-suite in the the C-suite with them.
1: Yeah. So I mentioned, I work primarily with family owned companies out here in Southern California. Over 50% of the businesses that I work with on a day to day basis are, are owned primarily or partially at least by women. Many of those are women who are in more of a ma- male-dominated industry, construction and other types of things. Um, I, I'm inspired by these women who I watch changing the world and making great things happen. But I do know from talking with some of them that there have been some insecurities and some feeling less than because maybe they are threatened by you know the male-dominated industry or just whatever the, the reason is. What message would you give to these women? Uh, since a lot of the women who, a lot of the people who will be listening and watching this podcast are those women who lead these companies I'm referring to. Any message that you would want to pass to them that you've learned, especially during this transition, that might help them?
0: Yeah, they need to sign up for my mentoring program. Number Sweet. one, uh, yeah. love, to, love to have them and work with them. But number two, if you can't do that or that's not the right fit for you really evaluate who you are surrounding yourself with because one of the most powerful things that i see happen for anyone and this is i talked to a girlfriend this morning and she said i can't talk to my mother anymore since the pandemic started she's so negative it's mm-hmm. she said i'm getting anxiety when i see so sometimes there are these sneaky little villains that creep into our life family members friends and some people are responding differently because of what's happening in the world we need to reassess hang on a second if i'm not at my best if i'm doubting myself who are these voices i'm allowing in and even if if i'm not noticing it i'm going to force myself to write down every day how did i feel today oh i had lunch with so-and-so and i don't feel great or i had a call from this person and i'm questioning myself we need to start i had to start firing some friends that are not bad people, but when I would leave their space, I felt drained, I felt down, I questioned myself. I'm not saying it they're bad, but what I'm saying is they weren't right for me in that time and that space. Yeah. And if we protect ourselves and you know, our potential and our ability and, and our strength, then we really need to reevaluate this somewhat often and pay attention to it, getting rid of some of the people that are putting these chips into our thinking.
1: Yeah, it's kind of the old saying that we're the average of the five people we spend the most time with. And, you know, now we're spending time at home with very few people. But we are on Zoom. We are on phone calls. So that's still technically with people. And hopefully we're rubbing off on them and and less the negativity on us. Because, yeah, all you got to do is turn the TV on and see all the negativity that's out there. How do you – what do you tell kids? I'm sure that in your your work, you obviously – a lot of, you know, like your, your, your um, organization, Boss in Heels, and I'd love to hear about that in a second, kind of insinuates that it's more women-driven, but I've also read enough on your site and in your book and just following you and hearing you speak that your message is relevant for everybody, but let's go to kids, just not to your son necessarily, but just the, the youth of our, of our world right now who, you know, I think of all the things that happened in my senior year of high school and my senior year of college, the last semester that kids today are missing out on because they're home, they're not out in public, just, you know, like you and I experienced. How can we help them regain the confidence that maybe they were gaining and then boom, the world shuts. And now we're back to, you know, being in my house where I'm not around my buddies, I'm not around my friends, my peers. Have you talked to kids like that about, you know, how they can regain that confidence level that maybe they were just starting to ease into?
0: You know, I, I think it's the same in this situation for adults as it is for kids, right? The more we get isolated, the more comfortable we feel with being isolated. And then the maybe we start not missing, you detach from what used to be as a survival mechanism, right? So sure. it's almost more, it's almost more normal just to stay in the house. And then I saw this with my own child. Okay, let's, we're allowed to go out today. So we're just going to go to the grocery store. Well, mom, I don't really want to go. It's okay. Because now that, this is their new routine, right? And and I, I I believe yeah. that- you just get stuck in that firm. I don't even like calling it comfortable because it's not, it's familiar. And and the more you get locked into that familiar, you don't want to venture out because putting a mask on and going outside sounds scary. And I get it, it does, I have to push myself. And one of the ways I did that was through accountability And the more that I lead, the more he will follow. And the more parents lead, their children will follow. They will follow our example, not what we tell them to do. So we can sit and say, you go outside and you go do this. But if we're sitting holed up in the house and we're in the familiar zone and not busting through, they're not going to do it either. So I decided, okay, I want to go to the park. But I was feeling trepidation. I had been stuck inside an apartment building for three flipping months and (laughs) the idea of going in the elevator with a mask is creepy and there's signs everywhere in my building which is great for safety but it is intimidating and I called a trainer who was a friend of mine and I said why don't you meet me at the park at X, x time I'm gonna pay you x and let's run the track together and I felt anxiety because I wondered, is that germ fl- virus flying around? Right. And, you know, who, what craziness went in my head? Well, now we've been doing it for two weeks and I look forward to it. It's, oh, yeah, it isn't that scary out there. Actually, yeah. it's really fun. And now I, I, she couldn't make it today and I'm so bummed out. And then my son sees me doing that. And he says, well, can kids play at that park too? And, you know, are they allowed to throw footballs around? Yeah, why don't you come one time and try it? Okay, I'll come one time. So it's coming back home with that message of, oh my gosh, listen to what happened and listen to how exciting this is. And, yeah. you know, showing through example and then reliving and talking about how that can apply to them. And, and that's through the power of story and through, oh my gosh, there was professional athletes there day. Let me tell you what happened and really getting the, I it up, them and make, that. Not hyping you,
1: but make, telling them the truth about how it really was cool. Yeah, I had to go out and speak. I, I speak at a lot of rotaries and community events and so forth as part of my, as my job. And um, for the first time in these three months, I actually had a public speaking gig yesterday. Like 20 people sitting on a patio at a restaurant in downtown. But I felt some anxiety just driving because i it wasn't the anxiety, I didn't feel any anxiety about my message and about speaking, I, you know, I got that. My confidence level is very high, I've been speaking publicly forever. But it was just, how's everybody gonna be? Are we all gonna be wearing masks? Am I gonna be able to talk through a mask on my face like this? And. What was it going to be like? And I think quickly when I walked in and I saw everybody had their masks on, I was like, okay, well, that answer is that I'm wearing a mask, you know? And then you go into, okay, for me, it's maybe cracking a joke or it's identifying There's somebody in the audience I know. So engaging with them and then it just kind of breaks that barrier down. I've heard people talk about the fear of success. Um, and I never really understood that phrase because I, I, I don't know if I fear success, but let me ask you this. You've accomplished some success in the last couple of years that probably even you didn't see coming. Um, what Has there been an experience in those last couple of years that you thought, wow, I don't know if I'm ready for this? I mean, this is, this is pretty awesome, obviously, the money's coming in and the notoriety and so forth, but have there been any things in this, these last couple of years that you maybe thought, I'm not quite ready for this?
0: The first thing that comes to mind is when I pitched myself from executive vice president to chief revenue officer, I had major doubt, I wondered, I'm pitching myself aggressively because I knew I wanted the title, I wanted the bump, I wanted the pay, but I didn't know what's behind that curtain, Hmm. what if I'm not qualified because I have never been past that curtain. And so I really started doubting myself and feeling a bit like a fraud. How can I push myself and pitch myself so wholeheartedly and certainly when I'm doubting myself? And here's what I want everyone to know. Yeah. Nothing is behind the curtain. It is easier <laughs> on the other side. And yeah. you know, I've been an account executive, I've been a sales manager, I've been a VP, I've been an executive VP, and I've been chief revenue officer and I've been fired. And let me tell you about every one of those steps. It gets easier the higher up you are, not harder. You have more resources, more teams. I had people booking my travel, people taking my notes, people doing things for me that I didn't have access to. The harder roles were earlier on, right? And that's when I laugh at, I hear Gary V talks all about love the journey, love the journey, mm-hmm. BS. I didn't <laughs> love the journey when I was starting out as an A. it was a freaking struggle and I was learning and getting punched in the gut and losing accounts and making mistakes. I love the journey once I hit the tipping point, which was mm-hmm. around VPE, VP when I'm like, oh, I got this figured out. In fact, yeah. watch what's about people. Get ready because you're going to see me explode in the next couple of years. Similar to being an entrepreneur for the first time. You don't love the journey when you're starting out. You don't even know where the journey's going. It's dark and you're just trying and failing and trying and failing. But when you hit the tipping point, then you start saying, I can kind of see oh, yeah, this is where it's going to start getting good. I remember this is what it's like, and, and this is where you take off.
1: Yeah, you know where you really love the journey? After. <laughs> you know, I look back at the journey. I look back at that time in the gym. Yeah, was it fun lifting the weights and running the miles and so forth? You get to a point where, yeah, there's that high with it. But, yeah, the struggle is a struggle for a reason. So I'm sure that the, I'm sure that the day you got fired, you, you went home and cried like most of us would in that situation. You didn't love that journey. But look now where you are. You, you love that you went through that journey because it, it developed into who you are today. So so you've talked about your your book coming out. Um, beyond that, what's next for you? What's, what are you looking forward to? Um, again, there, I, when I, you were talking earlier about we don't know what tomorrow looks like because of this pandemic. I'm currently in budget season for my company and I'm doing three budgets. One that's based on no public events. One that's based on some hybrid, which is probably the way we're going to go and one based on getting back to the way we were, which I'm here to tell you, isn't, isn't where we're gonna be. And I'm sure you're probably doing the same thing with your your career and what you're doing. What excites you about what's out there ahead for you?
0: The unknown, right? Yeah. I have no idea. I, the journey. Yeah, I, <laughs> I know my business is evolving rapidly and I don't know what's coming next. And one of the powerful things when you don't know what's next is just as much as it could be negative, it could be mind-blowingly positive. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, when everything's uncertain, anything is possible. And I hang on to that, that I didn't know when I got fired, I'd end up launching a top podcast. I'd end up giving a great TED talk. I didn't know any of that stuff was coming. Yeah. And so that makes me that much more excited for, all right, I didn't know this was going to happen. What's next for me? It's going to be something fantastic. I don't. I haven't seen it yet, but it's coming.
1: Have there been those surreal moments in the last couple of years? Like when you're interviewing somebody, I've, I've listened to a lot of your, your podcasts and certainly this is a surreal moment for me to get the opportunity to interview you. I've admired you from afar on social media and through people that we have in common through reading your book, seeing your Ted talk. Have there been those moments where you thought, wow, I can't believe I'm interviewing fill in the blank. And can you talk about that a little bit?
0: Yeah, I, I had targeted Jesse Itzler to have him as a guest on my podcast, and he, he was very difficult to get. I ended up getting to him. He wouldn't let me come to his house in person. I back This is back months ago. Yeah. And I only like to do in-person interviews. I made an mm-hmm. exception for him to do it on Zoom. His Zoom kept breaking down. Anyhow, he ends up texting me, which he hadn't, you know, I had no connection point with him at this point. I was going through assistance to get to him. He texts me directly. I'm really sorry about this, Heather. It's embarrassing. I have crappy cell, you know, service at my house. I'm so mortified. I write back, no problem. I'll hop on a plane and come to your house. So he says, yes. So I get to go to Jesse Itzler and Sarah Blakely's home. Sarah was mm-hmm. not there. But Jesse and I hit it off. Amazing interview. People love that interview. And I just love the guy. He's the greatest. Yeah. So he says, stay in touch with me. You, know, you never know when we could work together again. Well, wouldn't you know, a couple of months passed. And I get a note from someone, hey, you should speak at this conference in Boston, it's where I'm from. And I said, I don't know how to get in, I wanna get in. And you know, the speaking world, when you're new to it, as I am still, I'm only a year and a half in it, it's, yeah. you know, I'm not at the, the top, I'm not Sarah Blakely, right? right. So I'm on the lower rung. So I'm like, someone's gotta get my name in there. Well, it turns out a friend of mine knows the owner of the event. It's a huge sales and marketing conference in Boston. So he sends my stuff over and says, oh, you know what's interesting? We have no one to moderate and interview Sarah Blakely and Jesse Itzler that day. Perfect. Do you think she'd be a good fit for them? So he says, you're not gonna believe this. Call Jesse Itzler right now, he'll say all day long. So yeah. they text Jesse, would you you'd be okay with Heather Monaghan doing this? He says, of course, she's amazing. I'll tell Sarah, it's great. Now the opportunity for me to interview one of the only female billionaires in our yeah, country, exactly. right? Like, this is unbelievable. So that was one of those moments. I knew her husband, but I didn't know her. Right. I was super nervous, and it was so surreal how it all came together in this way that you, you could... I can't even believe that it, that it happened that way, but it ended up being such a phenomenal event. We got this unreal feedback. She was amazing. He's the best. Mm-hmm. We just had such a great time, so I, I'm so grateful for that very you know serendipitous whole story
1: yeah i love that and i've learned from experiences with people that just i was was blown away that i'm actually talking to this person I, i ran a minor league baseball team for a few years and our ownership group was made up of some celebrities and actors and entertainers and getting opportunities to meet some of these people and then realizing in conversation you know what they've got some of the insecurities and some of the similar types of issues they're dealing with maybe different scale but yeah and when you realize that it's just two people two human beings having a conversation that's really where the breakthrough is so, how do people reach you? I know you've got a, a time commitment here today, as, as do I, but I just wanted to find out, you know, what's the best way for those listening today to, to reach out, learn more about your mentoring program or about your books or or what all the different things you're working on.
0: Sure. My website is Heathermonaghan.com. There's a contact me form there. You can get a hold of me there. I'm on all social media at Heather Monahan. My book is Confidence Creator, and my podcast is Creating Confidence with Heather Monaghan.
1: Excellent. We'll put that in our show notes as well when we put this up today. Um, Well, I appreciate your time today. I I know you've got a a million places you could be and a lot of things you could be doing. And to sit here and have this podcast interview with some guy you've never heard of before, I really really appreciate you taking the time and boosting my confidence and hopefully those that uh, will listen today. So I wrap with one question. It's always the same question I ask all my guests. The name of my podcast is a play on my last name, Heart, called From the Heart. So Heather Monahan, what's in your heart?
0: All good, nothing but good and nothing but love for everybody. Inclusivity all the way around.